0: get your sugar sugar postpartum deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of needed products. Hey Mighty One, with nearly 300 BIRTHFUL episodes in over 5 years, it may be hard to know where to begin listening to the show. To make it easier, we've put together the Best of Birthful series, which showcases some of our favorite or most relevant episodes. This is one of those. If you enjoy what you hear, make sure you subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. Enjoy. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to rethink the pushing stage. It is extremely common for pushing stages to be managed with laboring people reclining on their backs and being told to grab behind their knees and pull them open toward their ears while tucking their chins and holding their breath for a count of 10. Is this really the best way? does it support physiology and what effects does it have on the baby and on the perineum that's receiving the brunt of that exertion the fabulous wapio is here to tell us more stay tuned So today's renewed episode is with one of my all-time favorite birth persons, and the image that comes to my mind when I think of her is of a wise woman. She combines evidence-based information and science with experience and heart to bring forth so much good knowledge into the world, and the birthing world is definitely much richer by having her in it. This, I'm talking about Wapio, who has been involved in the realms of birth for over 30 years, and she served as an independent midwife until 2001 when she retired from active practice and founded the Matrona, which is a repository of the birth wis- wisdom that she and her team share through various programs for midwives, doulas, and other birthing caregivers in the facil- facilitating of the transformative event that is birth and creation of family, because it's that deep, right? Like, it has meaning. Here we go. Welcome Wapio. It's always a delight to speak with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Same here. Um, I really appreciate being here and very honored.
0: So looking at physiology, what happens we've we've sort of always thought of that pushing stage of like from from when you're ten to baby is born. Um What happens physiologically to mom and baby as the cervix, you know, approaches full dilation and what needs to happen between that and and when baby comes out?
1: Okay, so here we go with some physiology because I love this and physiology will set you free. All right. So um, what we're we're used to in common practice is that we have divided labor into uh, three stages, first, second, third, even like a little fourth stage in the postpartum. But we're very familiar with first stage, which is the dilation and effacement of the cervix from, you know, fingertip to 10 centimeters, we say. And then what we do is after uh, a woman is uh, said to be at 10 centimeters, usually through a vaginal exam, lo and behold, now we're ready to engage second stage, and we call that pushing. But there's a whole um, body of physiologic wisdom and knowledge that is right in this place between first and second stage, there's a stage of labor that we're missing, all right? Because the woman does not go, generally speaking, uh, from 10 centimeters dilated, where basically you can't feel her cervix, to ready to push, it's just not physiologically um, engine. the body's not engineered that way. All right, so let me explain. We have to look at the idea of full dilation, meaning that you can't feel the cervix, but it doesn't mean that the entire u- lower uterine segment uh, has been pulled up appropriately into the upper uterine segment, thereby completely clearing the path for the baby to be born. We're not talking about this. We don't have an understanding of it. And let me just say, we, we, we do want to reform second stage, but it's nobody's fault. We're not pointing a finger here at caregivers or nurses or doctors or anything like that. What we're really saying is that the knowledge and, um, you know, collected experience from years ago that when we didn't feel a cervix, we told the woman to push, um, has just been passed down. It's just been handed down. It's what caregivers are taught. If you can't feel the cervix, she's ready to push. All right. So th- that's why we do this. All right, because it's, nobody has revisited the actual physiology. So now, back to the physiology. When a woman is 10 centimeters dilated, we, we say that meaning uh, we can't feel her cervix. But there's no way, I'm repeating myself, there's no way that you can tell, all right, uh, if, through an exam that uh, the entire lower uterine segment and the cervix with it is pulled up above the baby's head. You see, the only way to know that is, generally speaking, when a mother instinctively feels like pushing. So here's a big disconnect. Managed pushing, in other words, we don't feel the cervix anymore, so why don't you push your baby? Versus instinctual, or what we're also calling physiologic pushing. But let's really be clear about what physiologic pushing is. It's instinctual. It's when a mother has the instinct and the urge to push, rather than being directed to push. All right? So what you're going to see, and what, you know... What I have seen, and of course, a lot of my, most of my experience has been with moms in home births who basically were not confined to beds nor wanted to be and had the option of allowing their instinctual responses to come forth and be, uh, and be valued. So what's going on here now too, is that when, the cervix is completely dilated in the sense that we can't feel it dilating anymore in other words it's opened to probably the widest place that it needs to open it's almost like a crowning the way the perineum later on opens to the widest place and we call that the baby the baby's head crowning there's also an interior crowning when the Cervix has opened as wide as it can over the baby's head, but then the rest of the lower uterine segment needs to be pulled up completely. And during this time, you'll notice what's going on here. If you're watching, you will see that the character of the labor changes. You will see that the fury of transition, if you will, quiets down, the mother seems to go into a very trance-like place, the labor doesn't completely stop, all right, doesn't stop, but it definitely slows down, almost like it was when it was first getting started. Sometimes contractions are only 30 seconds long, and they're five or 10 minutes apart even, and I call this place the quietude. Why? Because if you're if you're with a birthing mother and this happens you become very aware very aware that there's a change in the labor and that everything has quieted down what's happening now two things that are important physiologically in order to bring the baby forth One of them is that classic cardinal movement of labor we call internal rotation. What is internally rotating? The baby's head. The baby's head is rotating from the uh, 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 lateral, okay, or the oblique into the AP, the anterior posterior. In other words, the baby's head is now aligning with the opening birth canal.
0: and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Bub. Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com. This was one big revelation to me at one point, right? When I understood very basic physiology of the pelvis, that the top, the the entrance of the pelvis is wider side to side at the top. So for the head to go in that way, it's got to be looking like side to high, side to like, you know, facing, aligning with hip to hip. And then at the outlet of the pelvis, the bottom, it's wider front to back. So somewhere along the way, baby has to go from looking hip to hip to looking, you know, front to back. And that's that internal rotation, right? Of like, wait, this is how it's bigger on this side over here. And it's bigger, you know, later on this way. So you've got a corkscrew somewhere
1: in between. Absolutely, uh, you've just impinged on that mechanism of uh, or that movement of the baby. All right, uh, called internal rotation, and very clearly, it makes so much sense. If you uh, you don't even have to have an engineering degree to realize that from side to side versus from uh, anterior to posterior, there has to be some way that the baby's head all right, turns from side to side to anterior-posterior to be born. And that's the place. This right here is the place where we jump the gun, where we think, oh, there's no cervix, so let's go ahead and push and we're, now, now modern medicine understands that the head does rotate, but the idea is here, and I'm not sure it's a good one, is that if we push, we'll make the head rotate faster. Okay? Do you see what I mean? If we put some downward pressure, we'll force the head to rotate, mm-hmm. and that's considered then the um, justification, if you will, for pushing, all right, for pushing when you can't feel the cervix anymore because we're just going to assist the baby's head to rotate. My feeling is this. If you are pushing while the baby's trying to rotate, hmm. well, simple engineering, something is trying to rotate without friction, and but you're pushing from above, there's going to be friction. Okay? Friction on the baby's head between the mother's bones, and also what can happen consider this that if you if you are pushing from above while something is a, like a ball bearing as it were it was trying to rotate um gracefully uh what you may end up doing is cramming it in there okay so the idea of pushing too soon let's let's dispel that idea right away there is no hurry in pushing whatsoever. What is the hurry? All right. The hurry, I think, is more for convenience rather than for well-being for the mother and the baby. All right. If a mother is relaxing during her labor at any point, which she clearly does in this time that we just mentioned where internal rotation will take place, all right, why why would we disturb her? Her baby's not going to stay in there forever. Why wouldn't we give her a little rest, a little respite? And labor takes care of you. Your body takes care of you. Your body would never assume that you would go into the, from the fury of, of the contractions of transition to all of a sudden now the effort of pushing your baby out. Okay? No, your body has a, a wisdom and a sense to it where there's a resting period there, a quietude. So let's dispel this idea of checking and saying the baby is, uh, the cervix is 10 centimeters. Let's push. In fact, this is a time in labor that, that we're we're talking physiology, but I'm also going to add a little bit of the psyche and the psychology here. This is also a time when a mother, uh, gets her wits about her. She's no longer flailing with the contractions of, of transition. She's, she comes to a place of peace. And in that peace, oftentimes we have moments of revelation, moments of profound depth and meaning, all right, if we do. All right, so this is also part of the, the whole um, idea of the quietude in a labor. And then, all right, so she has a rest, the baby's head turns, and now we are in position for the baby to be born. She'll come back. She'll wake up. She'll come back. She'll open her eyes. She'll be galvanized. She'll be like something's different. Oftentimes, she will want to get up. This is when I'm seeing uh, women who may very well in their quietude be lounging on the couch or head back or taking a little snooze or leaning against someone. All of a sudden now, when she feels everything in alignment, the baby's head is rotated. She's rejuvenated. She's had her moment. Boom. She's up. All right. And being up. now. And there's no way, I, I'm going to talk about this in a bit. Uh, there's no way we can't do this in a hospital. All right. I know that I'm I'm drawing off my experience at home, but I'm here to tell you there's no way that we can. There's a, a way to do this in a hospital, and I'll go into that later. All right. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, what's happening now is that her instinctual responses. All right, her instinctual responses to this labor. All right. And this alignment are also in alignment and she will push. Generally speaking, um, we think about pushing as, you know, take a deep breath, put your chin on your chest and exert the maximum allowable torqueage. Okay. Well, I count (laughs) to to 10
0: and you grab the back of your knees and bring them to your ears.
1: (laughs) This is heroic, and it's absolutely not necessary. It's not good for babies, okay? It's not good for babies. It's not good for mothers. uh, And I feel very strongly that we should attempt to stop this kind of pushing at at all costs, Mm -hmm. all right? Um, What you're going to see is that a woman who is instinctively pushing, usually doesn't have that histronic type of pushing uh, very much. Maybe at the end, she'll, you'll notice some kind of a, uh, a, a surge in her pushing in the, in the sense that this is birthing a baby. But what's happening now is that the baby is coming down. Now, remember, you know how we talk about the fetal position? Your head is flexed. It's the smallest package you can be. That's not how a baby's born. When that head, okay, after that head has rotated and she's gone through her quietude, now what the uterus is doing is beginning to push the baby from above and extend the head. Babies are born through the mechanism of extension, not flexion. So wait a minute. Wait wait a minute. Back up. When we are pushing a baby at 10 centimeters dilated without the head rotating, we are pushing a baby down in flexion. We're pushing a flexed baby down. No, 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 no. This is not physiology. Physiology pushes a baby down and allows the head to extend. You see? And the only way the head can do that is to have a clear passage in front of it, meaning that the head is now in the anterior posterior, not sideways or oblique. Mm -hmm. Make sense?
0: Yeah. Whoa! See? I'm going to repeat it back to you to make sure we get it right. So with the flexion, it's the chin, baby's chin is tucked to his or her chest so that the smallest part of the head, the the crown presents first to, you know, create the less mass possible, right? Present the smallest part to get through the first part but then once the head rotates and to navigate that curve between the pubic bone and the tailbone it needs to extend the neck so like that chin goes up and the head kind of tilts back and then that's the position that they go in to be born
1: Yes, yes you see all right so that whole mechanism is happening during this stage of labor that we haven't described yet called the quietude, or what you can do also is add two stages of second stage. One of them is extension, the baby coming down, and the other one is pushing. All right? You're going to find that um, organically speaking, very few women need to push their baby down to the perineum. The uterus does that remarkably and adequately. I want to remind you and everyone listening of something that we don't talk about very much because we have this idea that a woman who's having an epidural will really have a very, very, very hard time getting her baby to do all of this. Wait a minute. You know, they have known this for years and years back in the 40s and 50s. That the people, the women who have the easiest births are two groups. One, cardiac patients with class three and four heart disease. And they have the easiest births in town. Why? Because they're not allowed to have any kind of histronics. They're not allowed to push. Period. Period. And you would think, well, the poor women—they all have C-sections, right? Or they have that—you know—they have vacuum extractions, or or they're manipulated births. No, their babies just ooze out. And this is common knowledge. And the other group of women, who have once it, similar births where babies ooze out, are another group of women who cannot push, and they are quadriplegic or paraplegic women. Paraplegic women have very little trouble giving birth. Why? Because their uterus isn't paralyzed and their uterus can birth their baby very adequately.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: if you take that information and you translate it somehow into, well, could this be the same for everyone? I mean, just because is it, just because you have a heart condition or your parapet can't push, does that mean your birth is automatically easier? No, this is for everyone, okay? It is totally possible to have a, what we would call, spontaneous second stage.
0: It's so much fun to talk to you, Wapio. I love every time you come on this show.
1: Oh, thank you. I love it, too. I always love hearing you. And, um, you know, I love the fact that you're doing some critical thinking here about birth, you, you know, and just really revisiting some areas that, you know, I, I feel like it it it's for the good of all that mm-hmm. we revisit them. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I appreciate it.
0: That was just a bit of the amazing Wapio talking about the need to reform the second stage of labor and sharing lots of details about the latent phase of the pushing stage or what she calls the quietude. But what comes after the quietude? What happens once the baby rotates their head and comes down onto the perineum that energizes and galvanizes a laboring person into an active pushing stage? To find out, make sure you listen to the original, longer version of this episode. The link is in the show notes. You've been listening to a Best of Birthful episode, and there are many more where this came from. Look for episodes with the words Best of Birthful in the title to continue your deep dive to inform your intuition. You can find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com. You can also connect with us directly on Instagram. We're at birthfulpodcast. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and is a production of L'Antigua Williams & Co. The show's senior producer is Paulina Velasco. Virginia Lora is the managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. Ali Kiltz contributed to the production of the Best of Birthful series. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. Come back every week for more ways to inform your intuition.